Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought about it, i tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Now, also, if you are interested in the five questions and would like to answer them yourself, do check out the resources tab at the website because the five questions is available as a workbook and an ebook. And if you want to know why that's important, check out the end of the podcast or go and check out the resources tab at the website. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the program. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people, and what I have discovered is that our story is everything, because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? I mean, I think the biggest thing was getting over my own ego because I was in this position of an agency that was in seven figures and all this, that I was some big person. And then having eight months of like restructuring and then just selling out I felt I had failed, not as bad as like when I sold to a thing until, you know, because I had so put my ego on this eight figure, you know, and that was for me such this concept of like success is that. My guest on the show today calls himself a journeyman entrepreneur. He has built many businesses. Some have worked, some did not. And he's worked in over 20 minimum wage jobs. If there was a core thread in the life of AJ Lawrence, it would be curiosity as it has driven most of his ventures. When AJ was 11, one of his friend's dads bought home a computer for the family. This was the 1980s and no one could use it. AJ was instantly hooked and it came with a stack of manuals and he read the lot and helped his friend's family set it up while bartering for time for his own use. His proficiency did not go unnoticed and he ended up setting up printer networks for the local law firms. It was all about finding ways to get access to technology and play with it. In the 1990s, while at university, he got a degree in chemistry, but it was the logic that was attracting him. In his spare time, he coded bulletin boards. You know, while the internet existed, it was not one that most of us would recognise. There was no Google, Firefox or Safari to surf the web. It was an overheard conversation about a piece of viral news that made the national papers. It led him to create a tracking service for companies to see when their name was mentioned online. Now today we would recognise that as Google Alerts, but it was unique at the time. And although a part-time project, it found some success, but it struggled and was costing more than he was making. However, it was an interview with a local paper that shifted his fortunes. Local boy builds web technology sites. That was the headline, and within an hour, the phone just kept ringing. The little venture went through $1 million in just over nine months, and it caught the attention of another company that offered to buy him out. He accepted and they went bust within months, and he ended up with nothing. And that was his first of many business lessons. It took a few years for him to get over that loss. In the meantime, he took on various project management roles, and he realised that his web business had given him a unique insight into the problems of web design and marketing. Fast forward a few years, Working for a digital agency, it was a call from a client that encouraged him to step out on his own and start building something better. He built a digital services agency to over $7 million in annual billing when a crisis caused him to downsize and restructure and shed staff. He took a huge hit to his ego and he lost his passion for the business. So when the offer came to buy the company, he said yes to a seven-figure sum, and this time it was different. He got to keep the money. 
Our conversation is about his entrepreneurial journey. It's about how he chased the eight-figure success and looked at failure. AJ is very candid with us about his personal challenges. We look at the agency model and life after the big job, what it means to find balance with family and what is possible beyond the generation of money. Today, AJ is a serial entrepreneur with multiple exits. He's an angel investor, growth expert, and he's the host of the Beyond Eight Figures podcast. Let's join the conversation with AJ Lawrence. So AJ, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. So this is life, passion and business, and we're all about the journey that we take, how we got yeah. to where we got to. So how has the journey been for you? How did you get here? Well, I love that question because I've been spending a lot of time with my podcast really exploring what the entrepreneurial journey is. So like thinking about the journey, you know, I'm, you know, the easiest way to, to put this is I started off as just a kid who liked to play with computers back in the eighties, kind of went on from playing to working or playing to doing things to working with computers but the 80s you know, that was like the first first personal computers what did you get i mean i remember tandy had a machine out which was awful but it was it was it was you know it was a machine that you could program and i didn't what i did was i found um so i had a neighbor who had um a precursor to the tandy um i even forget what it was and they bought the my friend's father, you know, bought it for the family and, da, 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 and no one knew how to use it. So like literally one day I was like the, the typical like stack of instruction manuals. And like, you know, I would go hang out at his house and read the manuals. Mm. And it was like, I literally would barter setting things up for them so I could use their computer. Um, yeah. I was 11 at the time. And then it like kind of expanded. I, would my dad would hire me out to a law firm because I all right his law firm they were there was this thing called Daisy Daisy Chain Networks you know before you had you yeah. know networks Internet, yeah and it was more about so you could print and the printers were almost such that like the you would press the keyboard and you know whatever letter you press that would then hit right yeah. then at the same time because they didn't want to startle people yeah. Um, I did the same thing for my dad because they were complaining they couldn't get everything to work, fixed it. So then I literally for about a year um, on top of being a paper boy, I would go and set up law firm networks. <laughs> what a great opportunity for someone young to do this. <laughs> well, what I didn't realize was what my dad was charging. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got five bucks. I thought it was cool. Um, <laughs> little did I know. Um, Enterprising. Yeah. That's fantastic. Really. Isn't it? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's like, wait, my labor is worth what? Yeah. <laughs> but Ooh, the good thing about the ice cream, <laughs> but obviously sure. it, it got you into an industry, didn't it? And you yes. say it, it got you very comfortable with computers. I liked it. And it was what I think was so interesting in and in seeing technology change because I didn't have access. I had to find ways to create access. Mm. And, you know, my journey, I think that has set up a lot of, you know, when I find things interesting, I start looking for ways that I can do things in them just because that's sort of, you know, you know, those things you learn as a kid, sometimes, you, you know, sometimes you should change, but sometimes are really kind of cool. And it was like, oh, this worked well. If I mm. find a way for me to work in a space, I get to play with it. Mm. Um, you know, and I do that now. So my journey has been a lot of exploration. I've had, um, I joke, I've, I've sold, you know, I've built and sold three companies, which is really lucky um, you know, in this low to mid seven figures. So look, I've done well, I get that I'm privileged, but like I've had 20 over 20 minimum wage jobs when in, in different period, even into my thirties at times I've had to, 
do jobs that just to get by. Um, I've started numerous companies that did nothing. Um, I've invested in a gazillion things that did really poorly and a few that did very, very well. So it's like, I've been on this journey of kind of like trying to move from pure curiosity and like, oh, this looks cool to like, oh, how to make that worthwhile to what I'm trying to do with my life, which is also, I guess, called growing up. Yeah. I'm <laughs> trying to get better at doing this thing called living. But so. let's go, let's go back to that, that child and beyond that child, like to, yeah. to the college. Cause I'm like, I mean, you're, you're talking about this stuff from a very kind of successful man. I mean, you had to build those skills to become the successful man. Yeah. And, you know, I think to a large degree, it wasn't even that I was, that I, and a lot of my experience wasn't deliberate. It was aspirational, I, mm. you know, or in a sense flipped more, not even aspiration. It was more of like, I don't know how to do something and I don't know how to be a normal employee or normal job seeker and mm. you know, this. So uh, I guess I got to do this thing called create my own business and whatever this is, you know, I, um, I spent time in university where, uh, and this will only a very, very few people, but I create, I was selling um, black boxes and red boxes, which are multi-dialer systems where you could get back when the phone system was analog, it would get free phone calls. Um, by making the sounds of like coins going to machines or the sounds that the um, switchboards would use to patch long distance calls out. Yes. <laughs> I think the statutes of limitations have ended on those. Things. I think they probably have. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, it was like, I didn't know any better. So, you know, a lot of this was, I wanted to do things. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to do, I just didn't know how. So it sometimes, you know, somehow became easier just to create my own things. And over time, you know, what I've seen, you know, over, and this is of course, in hindsight, it's like, oh, over time, they became easier and not more because I had experience in what could go wrong and a little more experience in what was expected. And that was the interesting thing, because I think nowadays we talk a lot about, you know, from life, from anything you do, this kind of deliberate practice, the concept of deliberate practice and, you know, working on the things that you want to achieve mm. in your life. So you do these things. I think, you know, the nineties, you know, it's more into the knots where all of a sudden that kind of concept came up. So for me, the nineties was just like, uh, I'm going to do things until something works. And, you know, I got very lucky and some things did work. Some things worked, but then I didn't do well with that next level. You know, and so then that became the next growth journey. So what sort of things of did you get up to? What, did, what, did, what kind of businesses did you well, start? So in late night, so late 92 through 93, um, I, you, the web was really, really basic. Matter of fact, the first browsers were not even, it wasn't even Netscape browser at the time or, um, the precursor of Netscape. Um, AOL, wasn't it? That sort of stuff. Well, AOL was a dial up to its own sort of think of it as like, it was its own sort of environment. So I like, I had built BBSs for people, which were these bulletin boards, bulletin board systems where people mm. would dial in one at a time, usually mm. you know, upload or make a comment. And then you had to wait yeah. for the next person to come in. And then you dial that all that fun. I stuff. mean, it was for, the, for my listeners yeah. that haven't got a clue what we're talking about. It's like a notice, like a notice board at the, at the, at the, yeah. at the at the health center or something, you, you basically dial in and you put a note up and then you come back a few hours later and see if someone's replying to it. Yeah. And I used to play backgammon chess and all oh, these yeah. games and these games would take months <laughs> <laughs> because it's like, did, did the other person dial in today to you know, make their move? Um, so I was doing that. And then after I graduated and I, I heard 
a friend's boss talk who was in PR. There was an early thing where like a mouse was found in a Burger King burger or something. It was one of those type of companies. And it came out of like an online discussion. Usenet was kind of the big online discussion pre-web and pre all the other stuff. And it originated there. And it was one of the first things that made it, at least in the US, into mainstream media. The first piece um, of viral news. Yes. And so that, you know, I don't think many people thought that was the future. But what was interesting was I heard my friend's Bought him, my friend was in PR and I heard his boss complaining about it. And it was like, oh, you know, he was like, I don't know how, you know, my clients are asking it. And I was like, oh, it's easy. I could set up a, you know, I, I could set something up that would let you know what people are saying on there is what I said. Hmm. So my first business was basically scraping every day for about 10 brand terms, all related to smoking. Sold my soul to the devil right off the bat. Um, and just then using then, so we scraped every discussion on anything related to smoking and then just the terms, you know, and we would do a quant analysis of like positive, negative sentiment, and then send highlights and it was stupid. And we undercharged and no one thought it was, and I was losing, you know, what little money. Cause I was working on the side. Yeah. But I built a website in the very, you know, late 93, early 94 for it. And I remember I was like two weeks from just shutting us down and taking a job interviewed for some you know, friend of my parents, probably in the hometown I came from it's the teeny little, not even the main newspaper, but like a commercial newspaper mm-hmm. back when they used to have it, where it was like 95% adverts. They interviewed me and it was like, they were so bored. I could tell I was like, I didn't even think it was, but at the end it was like, oh, you have a website. How did you get a website? Yeah. You know, because <sighs> no one had websites. Oh, I built it. And all of a sudden it was like, you built a website. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I didn't mention, I basically parked myself in Barnes and Noble for a few weekends and just read, you know, HTML for dummies uh, for free. But, you know, yes, I built a website. Native boy builds, you know, web technology sites. An hour after they published it, I got my first call. Can you build me a website? And I quickly dropped Deep thinking, quant analysis of user intent and all that deep and programming and became an HTML monkey. (laughs) We built and I hired people and I taught them how to do HTML and basic web design. And I sold that company literally like nine months later after we passed a million bucks to a company that had sold, you know, bigger projects and were hiring us for capability. Um, so you know to sell a company I mean that seems quite they came to me um we were doing well this is I learned another big lesson on this um they came to me because we were doing a big chunk of work for them and they were like oh your work's better than our own people why don't we do that dance and yeah I was 24 and they were like oh let's just do let's just and I was like oh I I think I know some people that can help, you know, me talk to you about being acquired. No, no, no. Why don't we just talk amongst ourselves and we'll do something, you know, and we'll make you like, you know, 24 or just right before my 24th birthday, actually. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll make you like a senior person here and all this stuff, you know, let's just, you know, talk and we can do it all ourselves. Um, you know, I signed something that was like a million dollars on paper. And then all the money I had in my accounts, you know, was handed over to them and all this. And yeah, you know, they promptly went bankrupt within a few months. Uh, so yeah, big lesson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was my first thing. <laughs> it was like, yes, I sold for seven figures. I just didn't see it. got to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn me. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, and how did that, how did that feel at the time? Well, I mean, I went lack, I mean, the easiest way is I was pretty much, I went into seclusion for like six months. Um, I moved into my then girlfriend's apartment. I stopped, Mm. you know, I 
dropped out of my rugby team. I didn't talk to, hmm. I didn't talk to anyone, but my girlfriend at the time. And yeah, I was probably a, a right awful bastard. Um, you know, I couldn't, you know, I was not functioning for a while and then, yeah, you kind of come out of it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, depression, whatever you want to say, because, yeah. you know, I felt stupid in hindsight. Yeah. There was a lot of things I should have done, but it was a great experience. And so at the end, I think I walked out, including what I took home. I maybe made like seven and a half thousand dollars. So I was like, in hindsight, I was like, okay, I didn't kill myself. I learned a hell of a lot because while I didn't, I w- I had become incredibly skilled at the tactical structure of building sites and all that and the workflow processes. And even more importantly, which I didn't know at the time, the problems that could happen in doing mm. them. Mm. And like, you know, for the next year, I kind of bounced around doing crappy, you know, dev jobs and more senior project management. Mm. And then that management of customers and clients for other agencies was all of a sudden like, I knew this. And I was like, why doesn't everyone else know the problems? Mm. Um, you know, I got a lot of advantages. It just was a horrible. Well, process. life teaches us lessons, doesn't it? That's the point. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you have to have these nasty lessons so that we can learn to move forward. And hey, you know, you could have had a business that you sold for 50 million and lost a lot, couldn't you? At least you only, well, at least you only lost a, a million. <laughs> I, I do have to say, um, one of my, you know, the proudest part about my career as an entrepreneur is like mm. all the people who've worked for me, the cool things, many of them have gone off to do. I've had, you know, create their own companies. One guy, actually, he and his company just went public. And I was like, you know, just flat because he was this kid who I was constantly like, you can do so much. Why can't it's like, no, I just want to smoke pot and play music. And then, you know, 15 years later, he creates a company that goes public. Yeah. Does this amazing stuff and goes public. I'm like, all right. Um, But like, that's been so cool, except for this one person who's probably made, I, in that early company, we hired, there was an intern who we didn't even pay. He just showed up. He was a friend of someone who was like, I'll just hang out and I'll do whatever you want. I just want to, yeah. He was so annoying. And like, we had some women working and he would just sit there and like harass the women, you know, before, please just leave. I'll buy you a beer for this weekend. Yeah. Friday night, but just don't come back. Gave me a lot of attitude. Um, Moved to California to San Fran. And then like two years later, I get this like phone call. Oh, this is, and I'm like, who, what? Oh, I just wanted you to know. Um, I was employee number six and I worked um, at this um, Beanie Baby company that became eBay. And he worked for stock and it turned out he wasn't even, all he did was like get coffee every day. He's now an, he's a, well, I think he's a retired, but he became, took a lot and became a partner at a VC shop and like, and all these magazines and all this businesses, like this business genius. And it was like, wait, all you, you're, all you did was, you know, carry coffee around at, you know, as employee, not even, you know, he didn't even get a salary. And then, you know, but in the end of the day, that is freaking brilliant. If when it, well, happens. Uh, that's like an example of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And recognizing, I mean, and recognizing it. And then using it. That happens, but like, look, most of us don't have the fall up luck. Mm. Most of us don't even have the really big luck, but you know, on our journeys, I do think there are ways that from the luck we can get that we can take better advantage of. So what was your big break for you? So I spent a couple of years, not, I had gotten back into the agency world to, I want to say 2004. So is that uh, advertising and basically marketing, providing, providing digital marketing solutions? Yeah. Predominantly I was with this one company that was search and I became one of their like top account and strategist in search. Um, You know, I, I have a background as I joke, I had been, a, I have a degree in chemistry, but really it was just the logic I loved and I was decent in math. And then, so like, 
I kind of found if you knew logic, you can kind of play with technology pretty straightforwardly. Yeah. So I was doing really, really well for this agency, but they kept saying, oh, maybe we'll give you a raise. Maybe we'll do this. And one of my ex-clients um, had left the company he had been working for and gone to a new one, called me up and was like, hey, want to talk to you about some business I'm doing here in my new company. And I was like, oh, I'll get some salespeople and we'll talk to you. He's like, no, 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 not them, just you. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it was like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause I was like, I was already out interviewing to take more senior roles at other agencies. Yeah. And I was like, huh? So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that was, you know, for me to take that step, it was like, oh, uh, an ex client wants me to come and do work for them hmm. but with my own thing. Hmm. So that, that gave me, <laughs> gave me the, uh, to convince my wife that it was going to be worthwhile (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and that, you know, legitimacy to get started. It still took, you know, I think I landed in the next year after starting just one other client um, besides some small ad hoc work, Mm. but a year into having that, all of a sudden it was like, Oh, things started building. Mm. So that was the biggest, just like, Oh, that helped. The most. And so, and where's the, what was the driving that for you? Was it money? Was it, was it, was it something else? What was, what was the, what was pushing you along here? I mean, in a lot, you know, as a, you know, we had one child at the time and my wife was pregnant with our second child at the time. So money, I think had become a driver, but it was kind of, I was moving into that space where you know, I had had a period in the nineties and a little bit in the 2000 there, I had been well paid, you know, I've been high paid and then was like washed out and it was starting to feel like that. And I had a feeling like, Oh, I could, you know, I could go back and be paid well. So it wasn't specifically the money though. The money was, you know, the, you know, parent you need to, you know, I never wanted to have to worry about would my kids eat more than rice and beans? That mm. was my concern. Yeah. You know, and the roof and all this. Um, though my partner, she's she she's an ex-McKinsey consultant and does a lot of things with a lot of business. So I don't think I could have been a house husband. So there probably was more of my own self-actualization in mm. this pursuit. But it was a lot about like, huh, I think this can be done better. And I always, for me, right from the beginning, you know, like when I was trying to set up networks or get computers working, I wanted things to work for the way people wanted them, not for like, not how things that a lot of times when you get something done or service or whatever, it's done the way that they say they're going to, or they do something the way they do it. It's for the convenience. The you of, would. Yes. Yeah. It's for the convenience of the organization rather than the client. Yeah. And if you're in the agency world, you know, the pressure, especially as an agency gets bigger to kind of convince the client that your deliverable structure is the right way because you've built your cost structure and your revenue structures around it. So it becomes this kind of false game uh, in my mind, not all agents, but it does I think there's a tension in the agency world, which I love, and yet I feel is the biggest weakness. I, I always, as someone that came out of my own agency, yeah, mine was very, mine was tiny. It was just me yeah. and any and, um, people I would hire occasionally, but it was just me primarily. What I always found in the agency situation, there was always a mismatch between what the client wanted and what I could deliver for the money they were prepared to pay. Yes even when you're able to charge a higher rate, the expectations, we're focusing so much on the revenue we can charge clients and the work we can do. And then the add-ons we can, where we don't even have the expertise, but we're selling the expertise on with the idea that, you know, uh, we just, you know, we're just going to make it up in the background. Mm. 
I, you know, I'm all for trying to figure out ways to get things done that you don't know how to do, but selling an expertise without the expertise was something I really was conflicted about. So I started this agency with the idea that we were just going to drive a huge amounts of value and find a way to make, you know, get clients to, you know, sort of pay us the right amount. Mm. Um, you know, a little idealistic and stuff. And we had some really interesting things. I did do a lot of work on what I would call hybrid performance. And that definitely in 2008, 2009, during that, you know, in the US, the recession period mm-hmm. um, really helped a lot because our business grew rapidly in that phase because um, we were, we were able, you know, earlier people were like, well, why would I do that? You know, and then all of a sudden when we were able to have those types of conversations with better level of potential clients that would actually give us an opportunity to gain things. Cause sometimes, you know, you get a, someone saying, Oh, help me do, I'll do this on performance. And it's like, but your business sucks. Why would I take a risk on your business? You well, that's, know, you the pro- to, that's the problem, you know. isn't it? At the end of the day, you know, as an yeah. agency, uh, your your success depends on your client's ability to convert the leads that you bring them. And, and, that, and that's a bloody yeah. problem, isn't it? So they say your, your leads suck. Well, in fact, it might be your selling that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and as someone who does a lot of infrastructure, you know, SEO, search, analytics, yeah. it's sort of like, well, you know, I've always said, you know, do you have the right foundations? How do you yeah. do that? We were able very quickly to kind of have this position as strategic partners. Like mm. we had large companies that would have us integrate with their agencies of record, which, oh yeah, they always loved. Yeah. An agency that has this big contract, all of a sudden this teeny little agent comes in, oh, they're going to be doing our analytics and they're going to be doing some, you know, some consulting and advising and strategy on the sides, just play well together. Yeah. They love that. If they were nice, they would immediately start seeing if they could buy us um, and that, you know, <laughs> underpay and lock us up into golden handcuffs. And that was the few decent relationships most of them would just see how quickly they could make us look bad in front of the client. Since leaving, you start seeing just how much broader the space is and the other types of markets they're in. Mm. But you know, that was what we chased. And we got up to about 7 million in annual billings. Um, and then I lost my whale and we found out our whale had been the CMO of a very large diet company. And he was in a succession battle with the president of the company to see who would replace the CEO. So for a year, he had just basically been throwing money at us to gain growth because he wanted to show off growth. We didn't know that he lost his battle. And like, literally we got like on a Monday, Oh, I'm leaving the company that I just did this. It was like, Oh, we're going to miss you. And Tuesday, the, the president now CEO was like, oh, by the way, your contract's up. I'm bringing my own people. You need to transition them. Um, but it was like, and at the same time, all my conversations to get acquired were like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I had made a lot of mistakes. That was a bad day for you. Yeah. I mean, that week, I mean, and yeah. You know, there was other fun things that happened in that week. That was, you know, that was an interesting week. Mm-hmm. Um, had to let go. We had to completely restructure because I had built a team mo- that was fed by this whale, but also served other customers at a higher level, mm-hmm. clients, other clients, yeah. especially around analytics, data science, strategy. And then all of a sudden, we lost that. So like a lot of my super smart people that were doing really cool things just were no longer affordable, which had a knock on effect within like my next tier of clients. And until we got back to the, you know, to the early level of clients that I literally had just spent the past year and a half trying to not work with because, you know, 
build yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Only work on the big clients and all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, oh, thank you for not running away. And it was like, <laughs> well, we were going to. You know? <laughs> so I restructured and just the first time someone came with any type of offer that, you know, literally it was just like, here, we'll give you, we'll, we'll pay you out over time. Yeah. You know, it's owner finance, but here's some cash and just, we're going to go. I was like, here, bye your company. Um, so, you know, sold in the mid seven figures at the end of the day, but it was like, <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes in that. So how was life since leaving that, leaving, leaving the industry? What, what has it been for you? I mean, I think the biggest thing was getting over my own ego because, you know, I was in this position, you know, with an agency that was in, you know, seven figures and all this, that I was some big person. And, you know, then having that next eight months of like restructuring and then just selling out, um, I felt I had failed. Not as bad as like when I sold to a thing until, you know, because I had so put my ego on this eight figure, you know, and that was for me such this concept of like success is that. Yeah. It was. Yes. Yes. That's that brings us to the next the success question, yeah. doesn't it? How do you define success? It's evolved a lot over time. I mean, mm. I am lucky and privileged that I have financial resources. Do mm. I have stop everything I'm doing and fly private jets for the rest of my life? No, I don't have that money. But like, I am pretty damn close to being set. So I get that. Um, the value of money has changed because I have gotten lucky. It is for me, it is what I'm able to do with my money and sort of both the flexibility and the depth of value creation I can create based on utilizing my money that's more important. Mm -hmm. So for me now, a lot of how I'm defining success kind of structures like, okay, am I creating a good life for my family, specifically my kids? Yeah. You know, because as I said, my spouse is an ex McKinsey and, you know, but the question would here, probably do better without me. But the question here <laughs> is, isn't it really? I mean, like, yeah, it's all about making life set for your kids and set yeah. for you, but there's also a danger here because when you have a life, when you have a life where all your where your big battles have been won, what's the bloody point? That's you know, I mean, not to put a yeah. point on it. I I had a conversation last year with a with a very successful woman who was is, is a specialist in how do I describe this? She's a specialist in spirituality, and what okay. she does is she helps people get a connection with a greater sense of the world. Right. So that we're not talking about religion. We're talking about being connected with all things. Yeah. And she was called into a major finance house to talk to their billionaires about how to stop their kids killing themselves. But I grew up in a community where, you know, in hindsight, we were probably, you know, upper middle class. But yeah. You don't recognize that because you're seeing kids who like have money, have their own cars mm. before they had drivers, you know, but I knew a lot of kids who came from really well-off backgrounds who were miserable bastards and would like, you know, I was too scared, ex-alter boy, ex-boy scout um, that I am. When I would hear kids like doing drugs and doing crazy stuff, I was like, why? Yeah, I, not even the why. I think I probably wanted to. I just didn't, you know, I was geeky enough that I didn't have, didn't know other, you know, it was like, but you know, you're going to get caught and mm. you're going to get yelled at by your parents. You know, and that mattered to me where I think most of them, they wanted the, you know, that I knew people who had so much and never enjoyed it. It is that balance i want my it is children. the balance be finding enough yeah. of an edge to make us push forward help but, them do more but mm. not give them you know it's that what's that line and you know i'm no you know yeah i oh you guys are spoiled i have the same kids. thing with my own son my son's <laughs> yeah. uh, my son's 19 he's away at, at college at the moment you know, yeah. And he comes and says, I've got to do this and this and this and this. And you know what he's doing. He's quietly asking whether I'll fund it. 
you know and it's like and i'm thinking to myself well yeah i'd love to just say yes i can fund it but i also know that he needs he needs the edge to go and fund it himself and be creative around funding it himself that's definitely you know I know that, you know, and my oldest is 17. I have a 15 and then I have an 11 year old. So it is that kind of like, oh, shoot, we can do things that, you know, you know, until I was much older. And then I joke, my youngest sibling who's 15 years younger than me was raised when my parents had money. Mm. My parents, like, we, you know, ketchup was the things that you picked up at the, you know, at the fast food place, mm. you know, ketchup at home was the little packets that we would steal like 20 or 30 <laughs> every time. Salt was the little packets. Yeah. Soy sauce was, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, it changed by the time he got around, but you know, I was, you know, I got lucky. I think watching my children, I'm trying to find that balance of giving them more opportunities and more experiences and more support in trying to understand and then to do the things they want to than I had. Um, but at the same time, not just do everything for it because there are times where it's like, oh yeah, that sucked for me. Do you want me? Oh, fuck. No, no. I need you to actually be stupid. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. That is the point. We need them to be stupid because they've got to learn from it. You know, it's like those things you have to learn. Clearly, success now is more than money. It's about using it. Well, back to like what I was saying, this concept of like deliberate entrepreneurship. Mm. For me, you know, like I'm using the podcast, Beyond mm. Eight Figures. That is a symbol, but it is in talking with really cool people out there who are doing interesting things as entrepreneurs. And for me, it's kind of seeing, okay, what is there beyond just the generation of money? What is it that helps people and do things? So for me, success is becoming this ability to explore entrepreneurism. Mm. It's this ability to develop my own thesis based upon what I'm learning of having a more deliberate entrepreneurial experience. So I'm not just chasing things that I'm building and I'm practicing the entrepreneurial capability because I've worked for other people. I've had minimum wage jobs. I've been a fry chef. Um, I dug ditches. I've been one, uh, you know, I've been one of those people at the conferences that holds the laptop so you can type on things. You know, I've done crap. I've done good jobs. Entrepreneurism to me has been the coolest thing, even if the, even if it's very difficult, the degree of difficulty is high but it's been the most satisfying overall, even with the sadness, you know, those deep dives. And mm. so for me, success is becoming this idea of, you know, being able to practice being a better entrepreneur. I never think I'm going to be a great one. I just think I can get better. Mm. And I'm leaning into this concept of deliberate entrepreneurism because I think, looking at people like yourself, you've had this great journey and yet, you know, you're not, you know, you are still doing very, you know, you're doing cooler things and moving on and kind of creating this great voice and doing these things. And it's like, most people, when you say an entrepreneur, they have this like, oh, you either do this and become Bill Gates or, you know, depending on your generation, Elon Musk or whoever, or you fail. And it's like, mm, the reality is most people stick and really stick. They kind of. I do think the reality this. is most people just live their life and don't even consider this stuff. I think you and I are unique in that we're even thinking about it. That I do think there's that, and then even if they do, they don't realize that. Like, and it's not even these repeat entrepreneur concept. It's just like, it's this idea of like you. It's not that you become it becomes easier, but that it's like you get depth into mm. what you do. Yes. And I am really, for me, success is obviously a lot around, yes, the ability to plan for the long-term financially and to kind of remove worries and do that mm. because that's the core concept of you know, creating and running a business. But to me, it is this idea of 
being more deliberate and having an experience creating, buying, and merging different types of business ideas together in a way that I feel is better run, better, you know, better team, more mission-driven, you know, pulling all these things together. So it feels, and I feel that I'm doing this in a better manner. I'm a better entrepreneur. Mm. So getting to that point to me is success. And that's the most, most important thing for me in terms of this yeah. question is that you have an answer for it. Because mm. a lot of people don't know what their own success looks like. And so therefore they are chasing someone else's success. And then of course, yeah. when they get there, it's like, shit, this is horrible. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I ask people on my show, I ask them, how do you define your success? And I even say not the business yeah, because everyone's yeah. talking about their business, but and they immediately start talking about, oh, when when the business does this amount and this and that, or we do this, or we buy this, or we sell this, and it's like, huh. Now some of them are talking about their ability for the impact they have, but even then, they talk about it through the frame of their business. And yes, your business anytime is your primary tool. It is your means of expression of your entrepreneurial journey at that time. But yeah, it's like so often that focus is purely on, you know, there is the business and there is me. We are the same. He is I, I am him, you know, and it's like- but You've touched uh, on it already. Know. It's the ego thing. The, the size yeah. of a business, you know, the, the, the size of a business is the ego thing. Yeah. I've got a seven figure business, eight figure business. I mean, I'm no disrespect to any of it because I think I know it's an achievement to get there. Yeah. But there's still a massive ego thing about getting there. Well, I bought, you know, I bought my podcast because I was about to create a podcast in the space. And like this podcast was available for sale. You know, Steve Olson and his team had done a really great job, but it was about that moving that monetary figure. For me, it is kind of, in a sense, a little bit of Moby Dick, a little bit of aspiration and more to where we've tried to change the show is this concept of what does that journey look like as you move towards achieving success? Eight figures is just an easy general, mm -hmm. you know, common hand, you know, maybe 10 years of inflation and it will have to be nine figures and beyond. But, you know, it is this idea that to most entrepreneurs, that is an easy definition of success, but not the full. Mm -hmm. And that I find is really interesting. Like, mm. yes, there is the ego part, but most of the time I don't know people who purely focus on growth. Yeah. You know, as I did, when I talk to other entrepreneurs and business people who have this focus purely on the numbers and they hit things, their satisfaction, their happy, their, their joy of doing it is usually pretty low. Not always, but majority of the time they're not happy people matter of fact some I, I have a local bastards. friend actually who, who just yeah. took her business through through the hundred thousand and I know, I know it's not a huge amount but I mean, yeah but but, but it's a significant, significant. For, it's yeah. significant for their business and it was like there's something that well actual fact you know like oh we've gone through a hundred thousand it was like it, it, it just like it didn't you know once upon a time it would have had a massive a massive change but it had no like oh oh well that's good. Yeah. <laughs> now what next? <laughs> well, I mean, as you got, as you've, I've seen some of your guests discuss, and I've seen you discuss in some of your individuals, you know, there's this point in a lot of our journeys where like we do hit some, you know, form is because that we think is the promised land. You know, Oh, if I can get my business running, if I can get towards, a, if I can get towards a million dollars or um, my life, if I can get this, it's the promise, like everything, milk and honey. You know, mm. And then we get there and it's like, oh, okay. I'm no longer worried about paying my rent, but now I have 50,000 little problems. Well, new levels, new yeah, devils. New problems. <laughs> and it's so funny. It's like the, that, that what the F happened. Yeah you know, look and conversation. I, yeah, I can almost, when I talk to someone like your friend, it's like, if I talk to someone, it's like, oh, you just hit about a half. Oh, you hit there. Oh, so how's this going? And they're like, 
wait, you know about this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cool. You can pay your bills, but guess what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how do you define contribution for you? Well, you know, there's a few different ways. Um, at the basic level is, are we creating value for what we do? Yeah. You know, if what I do, so yeah, funny, I just fall back into we, um, you know, the business, but is what I'm doing, what I'm creating in the environment I'm generating, are we creating value for what other people give us attention, time, money to do? That to me is that thing because I've worked for people and I've been tempted at levels to play the game of like me, you know, of provide services with limited value and it sucks. It feels horrible. Um, so that's my core piece. If we provide value, we can usually figure things out. But then I start expanding. Um, there are various types. I've been on boards and um, of various not-for-profits and there are different charities specifically around um, disadvantaged youth and, and terms change rapidly. Um, people who have, you know, very lower levels of opportunity to me, that's always been, you know, because I've been lucky, even if I haven't realized always in my mm. life of that luck, because I was always looking at that next level, not the level below me, mm. um, that, I think then, you know, after I look at those, the most important thing to me is, like I said earlier about my you know, ex-employees, if I can create a situation where the people who work with me are coming and creating things that allow them to better live their lives, mm -hmm. that is really cool. The mm -hmm. dance and the complexity comes to balance that with the ability to me make a living and create something that can provide for that and still, you know, keep a balance. So I'm not just giving money to someone, but we're both being able to, and that's the complexity and that thing. But when, you know, I have, like I said, I have an ex-employee who is, you know, you know, the company went public and I was just like, what? I have <laughs> others who've created companies who, you know, are on the Inc 500 in the U S um, I know people who, you were in an industry which was expanding hugely so it was, yeah, there's I a mean, good opportunity for people like rising that. boats you know, know it was giving, a rising boat you know yeah. and you were you in, know. if you're in the fast food industry as i doubt anyone would have actually achieved anything like that well i mean this is the fun i partially because of you know my own background partially because you know of trying to play a big game, but in a, you know, <clears throat> being in a market, the New York advertising mar market and trying to play the bigger game, but having lower resources, you know, I would bring you know, a lot of what we did would train people. And I think a lot of the concept of training people is fading from a lot of the more mid low businesses. You see some of the big companies literally having full on training programs now google has you know and they have their own equivalent of mbas to bring people in you know the big consulting firms it's like yeah you're going to get the education but then you're going to come you're going to do work and do this training program at the same time we put a lot of effort into it and to me that was so cool and i still do with a lot of my you know we work on finding not only the things we need to get done but the things that they would like to work into on my team and try and build programs around that because one, the value generation, it's like someone who, you know, comes into the industry can do really basic stuff, but somewhere around six months, if they have the right opportunity, they take a nice inflection upwards and then around two and a half, another significant. And then six is where you see that kind of third big inflection that you see a lot of yeah. And funny, you know, it's like, you can kind of watch people, you know, when you've been, you and I have had the time to watch people grow careers. It's like the ones that are really trying and trying to learn. It's like, you watch them, boom, 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 boom. Yes. And then, you know, that early, that late twenties, early thirties, 
with women and about four years later with men, <laughs> since we're a little slower, it really does come, you know, it's like, wow, you know, director level here for a woman. And then, you know, with, and they all kind of tear up, but now I'm seeing that like early men are a little slower, but yeah. that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you contribute to yourself? Well, a lot of what I've been trying to do is um, balance off, and some of this is hindsight, balance off the things that I saw I did wrong personally in what happened, you know, with my last company and some of the things I experienced. S stuff like going into the last, you know, two years of the company, um, my, you know, I did three personal physical things incredibly wrong that had amplifications elsewhere by themselves, stupid, but the amplification across it. My sleep went from an average, you know, and I had been bio tracking and stuff for a while, but like, um, I was averaging under five hours of sleep a night. Um, my drinking had gone to about from probably two to three drinks a day to when I'd started in the middle of all this kind of blowing up on me, start tracking. I was there at six, seven drinks a day, um, averaging, um, and then working out um was barely once a week mm. um gained weight wasn't sleeping so so like you know my ability to handle stress which had been such a great strength for so many opportunities earlier on during this growth and i lost it i lost my resiliency um so now where i'm trying to contribute to myself is this idea of okay, I track my stuff. I have you know, the Aura Ring, the Apple Watch. I'm focusing on setting the basic foundation of decent health. Hmm. Yes, am I excellent? No, and I do need to work out more and I probably need to this. But like- But you are yeah. doing it and you're moving in the right incremental. direction. See, and you're and moving I in the right direction. Up. You did, I'm and that's why, I'm, that's why I'm picking you yes. up for it because you- are yeah. moving in the right direction because yes. you could not be tracking it. And then, then, then yeah. incremental progress, directionally correct. Forget everything else. If yeah. you're doing that, you're succeeding. What's the <laughs> one question you'd like people to ask of themselves? Why? Mm. Uh, or better yet, I had a professor who always would hit me with, so what, whenever I said anything and so what, and why am I doing this? All that they're kind of the same direction. I think what's happened is there's a whole industry and a whole communication on such a superficial level of this. You just set a mission statement and do these things and this and that and da 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 and take my course that I know myself and then other entrepreneurs I've talked to, especially the ones who kind of, as I call, brute force their business into that you know, mid six to seven, low seven figures. We start looking around and everyone's telling us we need this. Why? And it sounds stupid, especially all the people who first you look at. And I have to say, I completely, it was just like, oh, it's just woo-woo. <clears throat> what I found in interviewing successful or entrepreneurs who were feeling successful and showing success in their journey by what they've been able to do and their ability to continue doing what they wanted to do, which is usually a better indication than the money, this ability to continue generating that effort, I found a lot of them, they didn't start with this big why. I am going to change mm. the world. You know, Kara Gordon with Hint, you know, talks about, you know, health and diet around the water. But in interviewing her, I found it was like this little thing about her own personal stuff. And then realizing as she was getting going, no one cared about another type of diet or another water, flavored water out there. It was only her sort of focus on going, well, this is important to me because, and seeing and putting the effort into seeing how that mattered to potential consumers. Like if this matters to me, this can be important to you because of why. So her why expanded and she put the effort over time to continue expanding and to, now she has this whole mission 
that why that's what I found so interesting was like, huh. So, you know, doing the quick little why that's nothing. That's sugar rush going deeper, getting into that and really pushing beyond the easy answer and then putting the time and the consistent effort to see how this expands what, you know, how you interact with the world, how the world will interact with you because of this changing and adapting to that and going deeper. I'm finding it so hard, but I'm also finding it so much richer and I don't feel I've even scratched it. So it's like this idea of ask your, you know, any question that is important to you, maybe I'll even take it back. Any question that isn't, that you feel is important I think the most important thing is to go deep, long, and consistent with. Because one, too often we're told just to kind of wing it. Second, anything that's kind of difficult and painful, we're told to kind of run away from. And the clue is where it's painful or difficult is often where the gold is hiding. And I've had these, um, like, I literally had um, this one guy who has this now like a gazillion companies, but kind of started off of like, you know, selling beer out the outside of his truck at like um, an American football games. And now like family fun, yeah, it's worth hundreds of millions, <laughs> like one of those guys, uh, one of those people. And he literally, he's like, he says, yeah. All I really focused on since about, you know, when I was about 20 is like, anytime something felt wrong or difficult, that was all I would do. I would find someone else to do every other part of the business. But if something felt difficult or wrong, I would either find a better way or I would just focus on what was the most difficult thing we're facing, that thing. <laughs> I run, yeah. <laughs> so often, my early, you know, my earlier businesses, I ran. Well, we talk to do, don't we? We always talk to avoid discomfort, and it's yeah. a naturally human thing to do. But it sounds like a, it's a, it's definitely a good thing to do. Anything working with values or feelings or things about why you are doing something is really yeah. valuable. And um, for me, it's about creating the narrative around that. What is the narrative we're living? What is what is the story that we're telling ourselves? I like that. This? That is kind of cool because. We all have our own personal narrative um, and understanding and controlling that just feels so much better than, oh, well, I'm a bystander. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's cool. So look, how do pe- what is it that you offer people? What is it you're looking to offer? What is it you want people of the podcast to do okay, so for you or have you? If you're interested in entrepreneurism, you know, I'm very similar to, you know, Paul here, I go into the concept of journey, but really focused on the entrepreneurial journey and how concepts of deliberate practice, or as I call it, deliberate entrepreneurism can help you on that journey. So if this is something of interest to you, or if you just like hearing really interesting people talk about their own experiences of being an entrepreneur, come listen, beyond8figures.com. Um, sign up for our newsletter. You'll get it. You can find us on iTunes, you know, Spotify, et cetera. You know, just give us a listen, sign up. And, um, you know, we have every week, we have a different entrepreneur from around the world. And we're really trying to diversify not just where entrepreneurs are from, but the types of businesses and the type of people. So we have a wider concept of what an entrepreneur is and what they can be. Sounds wonderful. And how can they get in touch with you directly? Um, hey, I'm on uh, Twitter at AJ Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, AJ Lawrence. So all those links will be available at the website, Life, Passion and Business and cool. on the podcast app you're choosing. We get to the last question with all my guests, mm. which is the big question. And you have sort of touched on it or skipped around this. What's the meaning of life for you? It's really simple. And then, yeah, it expands from the simple. The simplest thing is if my children are happy, if my spouse is happy, are the people in my life happy and provided and living a life that they want? It's then that kind of next step that then 
self-actualization and the support of other self-actualization occurs. So it's like, how much further out there, what can I do to create this narrative that's in my head? Because I'm definitely someone with a gazillion ideas and more every moment. Um, how well can I create that in the world? You know, once that basic concept of like, okay, now I'm still working on my own well-being and my own feeling of well-being. That's really difficult. It's easy to kind of focus on there. But after that is this idea of like, how well can I create the expression of my ideas in the world and create value for myself and for others from them? It's as good as answers, any. Yep, that's the meaning of life for me. <laughs> AJ Lawrence, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been such a joy to talk to you. Thank all you, Paul. This has best. been a lot of fun. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, AJ Lawrence. If you'd like to connect with AJ, you can find him on LinkedIn and on Twitter. You can also find the podcast, Beyond 8 Figures. You can also find the website for the podcast, which is beyond8figures.com. All of those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion, a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and the sense of what it all means... That is the path to a good life. Now look, you don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time that I can remember. And we must be sure to know who we are and what we want out of this journey because we will not get it unless we choose it. So please give it some thought because you know your future depends on it. And if you'd like some help with that process, do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com where you will find the five questions ebook and worksheets. Now this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery and it's at the amazing price of just $12.99. So do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. Now finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five-star review on the app of your choosing and, of course, sharing it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it for me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best. Bye.